Horrific Network Entertainment. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Horrific Podcast and this thing. Bear with me as we get out a little early, but here we go. Okay, so today's guest, I've been sitting on this interview too long. I've got to get through some of these interviews. There's maybe weeks where there's multiple Horrific Podcasts. Um, it's not probably going to happen... It's probably not going to happen until maybe September. We may have a week where that happens, but then haunt season's going to happen early September. So I say that, and then it probably won't actually happen. But, man, we got a lot of cool stuff just in the reservoir that I can't wait to get out for you guys, um, including it already started, it continues, but our, our, our Orlando series is really cool. Um with Star Cruiser and some of that stuff that'll take us into haunt season and that'll take us into the craziness of haunt season um which kind of is one of the opening stories coming back from COVID I was able to see nope I thought that was very interesting spoilers so it's like a, it's a giant like stingray and the, the UFOs are abducting people. Parentheses. They're actually giant, like, sky stingrays. And they're eating people. And if you look at them, that's kind of like their trigger for aggression. And they'll eat you if you look at them. But if you don't look at them, you don't get eaten. And so that's... That's the majority of the movie. It's actually a good movie. I wouldn't necessarily call it a horror movie, per se. But it is not necessarily a bad movie. Um, um, I think that uh, we will have a kind of a moment of Jordan Peele is making these movies um is he gonna run out of steam and nope got really good uh review so far so critically he's not running out of steam but scare wise man those movies have declined substantially from the first one from get out to Nope. The scare factor in Jordan Peele's work has fallen steadily. And I'm not saying that the overall work has fallen steadily. But each movie that he makes, Antebellum included, in there, uh, which I think he actually just produced. So that one's maybe like half credit. Um... 
but they they have fallen off scare wise pretty substantially in my opinion I didn't hate nope I thought nope was a little bit long um, could have been like 20 minutes shorter and then it would have been really really good but it's a little long <clears throat> it's a weird year for horror some are calling it like the best year for horror variety wise definitely the thing that's great about this year, all the indie horror films, um, nope to a certain extent, although Monkey Pop Productions is definitely gaining steam, but like Ty West and X and a bunch of different other ones that are still to come, getting a lot more love, and I wasn't mad at Scream, but a lot of people were mad at Scream. I don't necessarily understand why, but there it is. Um, but yeah, a lot of these independent horror films are getting a lot of love. And it's cool to see. Uh, our haunt date, our haunt season dates, pretty much all going to be announced this week. Stay tuned for that announcement. That's going to be a big one. Uh, there will be dates that get added to it, I'm sure. But for the most part, those dates uh, are going to be the major dates of the stuff that we are unquestionably planning on being able to attend so i am stoked for that anyway man today's guest this guy literally has touched so much so much in the horror genre so much in the film industry mick strawn uh, what a conversation this guy was we barely even scratched the surface of it eventually at some point we will have to have mick on uh, again it's just a matter of having the time to do an interview on top of getting all the other ones that we have in the bank out. So there it is, really. We have to uh, really kind of look at that as just a matter of being able to put the best of the best out. Like not all the uh, not all the halfway to Halloween stuff is going out. Um, but uh, yeah, so. I'm on the podcast channel. It's all out on the YouTube. But anyway, rambling. Mixtron, Nightmare on Elm Street, Candyman, Hercules, Xena, uh, Night Gallery. The dude has done so much. So enjoy this interview. Like I said, we probably could have talked another hour, hour and a half to get everything the man has worked on covered. But uh, hope you enjoy this one. All right, gang, I am joined on the show right now. I'm super stoked to have with us a guy who's worked in all kinds of de departments in film production. As a matter of fact, on IMBD, I think he has just about one credit, at least in every one that you can have available to him. But <laughs> the ones that I know that our watchers and listeners are going to uh, really know uh, his work is like from the art department to production design and even special effects. Uh, the great Mick Strawn, thank you very much for coming and uh, talking to me, man. How's it going? I mean, you know, I'm I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> Definitely got to like the vibe of being here after <laughs> the last like four and a half ish years the world has been through so if you can say that with a deep breath 
you're definitely winning, I would say. Yeah, any anybody's still standing these days, right? You know, yeah. it's it's like our bar has come so far down. You know, <laughs> it's like it's like it's like you know, four years ago we judged people as to whether they had pants on or not. It's yeah. not even a criteria anymore. I'm not wearing pants now. <laughs> well, if, if you're not leaving the house, it's like, why even put them on? It, it, you know, we, <laughs> we've we all become very zen about everything, haven't we? Yeah. Hey, whatever. <laughs> but, I mean, man, the career you have had, Mick, is, I would say, growing up as a kid who discovered horror in the uh, mid to late 80s and then kind of once my dad thought it was suitable enough that I wasn't going to be up all night we backtracked into the late 60s <laughs> 70s and then like we kind of caught back up a lot of like how people do with the Star Wars franchise my father did with me in horror movies yeah <laughs> and uh, but you like you broke in on like getting ready to actually get to talk to you and just like seeing uh, everything that you've been attached to, you broke in to all these awesome franchises and awesome times in which to break into them. It's pretty cool to have on your resume. You know what I've never understood is, it, it, and I have a lot of friends that that uh, you know uh, that are my peers that worked through the same period in the eighties and on and on and and I don't understand exactly how I had this zelig like appearances on on films that people still remember <laughs> which which at the time were not but you know the thing is that I, I I did I certainly had a lot of films but but never never films that had any any amount of respect whatsoever but they're still around <laughs> people yeah. can still remember them I mean you know it, it's like if I had worked I I mean, there were films that were just so, you know, classic at the time, like, you know, like Kramer versus Kramer or Paper Tiger or stuff like that. And all these weird films, all these films that were, you know, primary mm -hmm. that nobody knows anything about anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. We're just just gone. And yet I kind of like skipped from, you know, like. The nightmare, the nightmare on Elm Streets, to the Leather Faces, to the Critters, to the I worked on the Hidden, uh, uh, you know, Hercules, uh, Mortal Kombat. Just the list goes on and on and on, and it's you know, if you want a great career, uh, just accept everything and 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 let there be accidents. That, uh, yeah, I mean that is one thing that I they did a good job in film school with us is being able to the importance of being able to try to like network and meet as many people as possible and the importance of knowing that the proverbial dream job isn't going to be like the first thing that you freaking have offered to you so you definitely have to be open to saying yes when you can recognize the opportunity comes yeah and you're being open to it has led to this resume that is freaking a mile long. And like I said, it's dope. I mean, you, you hit on all these great franchises that you worked on, but one of the early ones that you worked on 
um, was Tales from the Dark Side. Tales from the Dark Side. And, and I had so many great stories about that. I mean, you know, Tales from the Dark Side was was literally was filmed in this um, this little tiny, uh, little little tiny uh, uh, warehouse uh, in in South uh, South Central LA. Um, and in fact, it was right down, it was right down the street from the, uh, farmer John, um, farmer John slaughterhouse. Right. <laughs> it, it, and the thing is, is we had, we had pig death Thursdays, right? <laughs> Every Thursday they would kill off, they would kill the pigs. And the, there, there was two things that there's two things that you distinctly remember from that is that, that. All day long, you if you when you went outside of the stage, when you went outside, that you could hear the pig screaming, right? Oh, that was one. But the other was the smell—the smell of fear and death. Jeez, <laughs> it was like, yeah, pig death Thursdays. What, what can I say? And and we had all these like you know, uh. uh you know, famous and semi-famous people. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did, you know, yeah. he, he did one. Um, uh, just uh, the girl who played Mallory on Family Ties. Uh, mm. Can't think of her name. Um, I know exactly. I can picture her on it, but yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, we just, we just had all these people through there and, and, and nobody knew what they were doing and everybody got $75 a day. You know, it was, <laughs> no matter what, you know, you, I, I think that the DP probably made more, mm -hmm. uh, but none of the rest of us did. Right. You know, absolutely everybody. And, and there, there was just some crazy things. I mean, it was the beginning. It was kind of like the beginning of, um, of, of just on the edge of respectability of non-union films, uh, non-union work, you know, I mean, yeah. And and in it you you made seventy five dollars a day and and your only status was that you, you did better than the last film that you were on <laughs> or the last you know whatever you worked on and yeah. uh, and and so uh, we all wound up down there uh, you know banging these sets together uh, at, at night and uh, and filming during the day. Did you guys have any inkling like you? The way that you talk about kind of the mood seems like you guys are all in it together. You're humbled by the fact that you're getting the steady work and everything, but it doesn't seem like, or at least you hadn't mentioned yet that you guys are like carrying around with you the fact that you're doing uh, the show that was going to end up becoming anything that was weird, <laughs> like revered is what it was. But you can't know. You can't. You know that they, they call the eighties the uh, the the uh, gold, second golden age of horror, right? Right. Well, the thing is, is it's impossible to know that you're in the middle of something like that. That's true. <laughs> how? I mean, yeah. How do you know? How do, how do you know that that all the stars had it aligned? Because basically, look, look, we we were still making films uh, the way that they had been done, you know. Uh, since the, the early, uh, you know, it, I, I tell people this all the time. If you had walked, if you were a grip and you, you had walked off of a stage in 1939 and then worked on and then walked into the, any stage, like even, uh, uh, uh on, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street four, right. Mm -hmm. 
there there would be so just only minor differences you, you know i mean you're still working with you're still working with like like you know this uh, gripology was all the same the cameras were pretty much the same the uh the lighting tech the lighting technology was absolutely the same mm-hmm. i mean you know all this was just i mean we were still using you know back then we were still using these huge paddles for uh for lighting you know it it, it wasn't like plugs or, or, or they the the lighting was run so that there was this enormous paddle right and you would take this paddle and you, you there would be a row there would be a, a, this thing that looked like a, a square box right and literally the paddle spit right into the square box and, and and it was a it was a holdover from like the 30s or four or, or 40s right you know and they were still built the same way in fact uh the the way that the paddle was shaped you know whenever we needed time and especially on tales from the dark side is that when, when we needed to buy time uh we would uh you know everybody would say well you know uh nobody would listen to the art department, right? You know? So yeah. what, what we learned to do is we would just sabotage it. And what we would take is uh, if you took clear tape and you put it around the edge of the paddle, right? So, because that, that old edge of the paddle was copper, right? Mm. And the paddle was like made out of like Bakelite, right? Yeah. And so if you put clear tape around it, there was no way to, there was no way when you're using that, those little flashlights in your mouth, putting them in your mouth and trying to figure out what was going on. You could never see it. You could never see the tape, the tape and, and it would shut production down and you would have time to go finish what you were doing. <laughs> and the thing is, is, you know, all the first AD and the first AD and the, the, the uh, PM production manager was like, no, we can't, we can't give you, we can't give you an hour. That's impossible. I mean, you know, I, uh, you're just going to have to make it work. <laughs> so, yeah. And so you just freaking sabotage the fuckers. <laughs> did they ever, did they ever catch you guys? Oh God, no, absolutely <laughs> not. You know, the, the, <laughs> the funny thing is, is literally what we would have to do is we would work out, uh, our, our our problems and then we would have to go take the tape off of the paddle yeah. or plug it plug it and all of a sudden everybody go oh okay it's fixed <laughs> okay it's fixed <laughs> and it was it was like this strange mix of, of people who were uh who were uh side working sides off of uh studio work or working in between studio work that had you know th- th- that were um coming on and they would do a few days and then they would go back and, and, and do a show like on one of the big stages and stuff like that. Mm. So you had those weird mixture of, of people. Uh, and there were a lot of theater people that, that came in and out and, and it was, it, you know, it was, it was a bunch of incredibly flaky people that were learning to be responsible for the first time in their lives. You know, <laughs> These sometimes put on some of the best productions, though. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is T.J. Castanova was the executive producer. And I don't know if you know who T.J. Castanova is. T.J. Castanova was one of one of the um, uh, one of the mice for uh, for Batman for for uh, what was it? Um I can't think of which character it was. They had the three characters that were back. Uh, I think it was the penguin had yeah. 
had yeah. had had three characters that backed him up that were his evil henchmen, right? Right. This guy was one of the one of the uh, henchmen, huh. and I, I remember sitting in a production uh, uh, production meeting one day and and, and reaching. And, and grabbing what I thought was my cup of water and just about like this. And, and it was TJ's uh, vodka. <laughs> it was like just a cup of just straight vodka, just sitting right, right there on, on the desk. Like, oh my God. I literally, I literally, only time in life, my life, I actually did the spray, the comedy spray, right? <laughs> Across the table. <laughs> That's but great. but we had a blast back then, you know. I mean, uh, n- nobody made anything, and and and, and everybody somehow won, you know. And, and certain people maintained a certain uh, uh, level of uh, of competency, and uh, somehow or other, uh, we made it all work. Well, you go in pretty close to you know, just a couple years later, you're entering the Elm Street franchise which you do work on nightmare four. And then that turns into doing some stuff for Freddy's nightmares too. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I did nightmare on Elm street three and then four. Well, you did dream warriors too. Yes. Oh, wow. That's, that's pretty cool. Cause we just had a uh, Ken and Jennifer at our local con that we host. And Ken, one of the only Dream Warriors to make it out of three and into four. A good, a really good friend of mine. He 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 and I uh, toured uh, towards the end of the pandemic. We we toured uh, uh, up up in the Northeast for probably two months. Oh, wow. Just doing doing because they weren't doing three day cons anymore. They were doing you know one day events. Right. So we lined up a whole bunch of them. We got had an agent buddy of ours line up a whole bunch of them, and we just kind of went one from one to the other, uh, just skipping hotels and skipping, you know, all, all through the uh, the Pacific or through the, not the Pacific North, uh, the Northeast, right? Wow, that would be a, a pretty cool, uh, almost like a, a just like journal or something to have read about the different stuff that has taken place <laughs> with the two of you guys over the course of however long that. Oh, he's, he, he, he's incredible. I, I, I've always liked him. Uh, I've always liked Ken a lot, you know, uh, he is, uh, he's just a very sweet human being. He really is. He is. He's awesome. In fact, you know, I have to say that the whole group out of all the groups that, that, uh, you know, the films that I've worked on, uh, the, the group that did Nightmare on Elm Street three and four mm. collectively, it has stayed the tightest out of, out of everybody. For that right? franchise. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I mean, we're always doing cons together. We're all, we're really good friends. We talk to each other all the time. I, you know, uh, I have Robert and Lisa and, and Ken and, and, uh, all of them, um, you know, on speed dial, if that were such a thing anymore, right? Yeah, yeah. The uh, I will say that that definitely like rings true because the Friday guys, you have like the collective Jasons. You see them kind of like come together, but they're from the entire franchise, not just one or two from that franchise. Right. Halloween, you don't really see it. 
Yeah. You know, it's actually, it's, it's, yeah, the group from the, it is, it is more the group from Nightmare on Elm Street four pulled together with some of the people from three yeah. uh, that, that, that it is, is just, just, you know, we're all great buds and we've been together for years, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, you, you have a, a, an interesting bond between them, you know? To be doing the work that you did for that franchise has to just be wild to think about getting to design that kind of stuff because from a fan, every October that they do like a haunted house at Universal or something, yeah. and you're walking through the set design of that. like It's re- fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, this is like... For you, it's got to be doubly mind blowing. From just like a fan of the franchise, it's like, damn, they built Freddy's boiler room. But did you? I guess before we even talk about designing the real deal, did you go to any of the haunted houses and see them like as they've rebuilt from your guys's movies? Not really. Um, it's I I I have I have heard about a lot of them, and I haven't uh, actually uh, been involved in too many of them um kind of reminds me of work yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) i i i I have my own little recreation of it behind me (laughs) standing up right now yeah well just it's just my steel background okay um but when you came on to that franchise, knowing that this is kind of like what three was going to be, had you seen one and two? Were you a, a fan? I, you know what? Here's here's the thing. I for a uh, I I worked with uh, Peter Chesney um, on putting together uh, the. Uh, I was working in an effects house uh, with with Peter Chesney. Now Peter Chesney was the mechanical. He, he did all the mechanical effects on it. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and I then helped engineer them because I was running his I was running his effects house. So uh, it was I was turning in the final billing, you know, for Peter. Uh, because uh, they didn't have a director yet, and we had gone as far as we could go without a director. And um, I, I, uh, I went down to the uh, to the office in Robertson for, for uh, on Robertson for uh, New Line Cinema, and uh, I was waiting to get up to the eighth floor. Uh, and uh, Jerry Olson had just been hired to be an executive uh, executive producer on it, mm-hmm. and. Uh, he steps up to the elevator just as, just as the elevator lands, he steps up and I had, I know I knew him because we had worked together on a film called quite cool, um, which was a new line film. And I had just done the construction for that. And we got onto the elevator and on the way up, I made an elevator pitch to be the, uh, to be the, all I knew was the art director, right? I would have gone for production designer, but I wasn't aware that there was such a thing. <laughs> so I said, look, I want to be your art director. I've done all the effects so that 
so I already am really, you know, into the script and know it all. And by the time we got to the top, I got the job. Now, the thing is, is, is then, then they showed me the first two films uh, in, in a, uh, in a, uh, a viewing, you, you know, literally back then you didn't, you didn't, you know, pass back and forth tapes or CDs or anything like that. You literally had to go to a, a, a viewing stage and all the, every, every lab had several viewing, uh, viewing stages. Uh, it, you, you know what that is? It's it's like seats, maybe 25 to 50 people. Sure. It's, a little, it's a little tiny theater, right? Right, like mini movie theater. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it, it, you know, whenever you want to, uh, you, you want to pretend like a, uh, in, in a film or something like, like the, the, the big producer of the, the studio, right? He's always sitting in one of those, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I really, I really like your work there, Bob. I really, yeah. So, um, so I got to sit and see them both there. Uh, and I, I sat through Nightmare on Elm Street and I, and I, I thought it was interesting. I, I didn't like the ending that much. Um, and then I sat through the second one and the second one made sense for about 15 minutes and then it didn't. And then it didn't. And I just had no idea what the fuck was happening for the rest of it, right? Yeah. I, I mean, it was it was like eh, it's pretty lame. And the funny thing is, is then then later in my career, I I worked with Jack Shoulder uh, on the Hidden, mm. right? And he was the director of that. Mm-hmm. In fact, he and I live now on, on the East Coast, and and uh, I literally see him all the time. <laughs> but so. Uh, the idea was that then I would, I would learn, I was shown the first two films and, and then they said, now, now we got together in a meeting and we were like, here's the thing is we want to stop that trend of uh, getting lower and lower and lower uh, uh, numbers for every for every um, sequel. Mm. And we think that we have a great idea for the third, which I already knew the script and, and the, the, the concept uh, of, you know, and it was Wes's idea uh, of to get around the Superman pro- problem. The Superman problem being that, you know, Superman is, is so powerful. You need kryptonite in, or, in order to make him interesting. Right. Yeah, but but Freddie, Freddie had a Superman problem in that everybody has to sleep eventually, right? And then Freddie would come into your dreams and get you, and that's it, right? Right. So they came up with the conceit of uh, bringing having somebody have the ability to bring other people into their dreams. Okay, that was one, and then and then in meetings we said, well, we're gonna do we're gonna wind up doing three things to make this uh, a, a cut above all the rest. We're going to do that. You know, the, the first thing is that that we have the story advantage that we're bringing people into the so so we can actually make a story out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is they were going to let let uh, Robert England be Robert England because you had an incredible advantage in that Robert England w- w- was the monster, right? Yeah, because he's 
he's so fucking good. Yeah. He, he is a great actor. And and by the way, Robert English is one of the nicest guys in the world and absolutely has when he came out of uh of the womb and they slap him and he started talking, he hasn't stopped talking since. I mean, he would but but he's but but he's he's really so sharp, right? And it's and a testament. So, I would just say to that to the Freddy character, like all the other franchises that you compare, you know, conventions or fans or right. whatever, it's always you know, compared to Jason Michael Myers, Leatherface, none of those guys really talk. None, none of them, none of them are, none of them are strong on personality. Their their personality has to do with how fast they can do this. Yeah. yeah. Right. You know that that really. Come on. Let, let let's face it. You know, you can't have a Jason without somebody going. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So anyway. Uh, so they were going to let Robert off the chain. You were going to let, you, you know, that, that was his. And then I came in with, okay, we're not going to do, this isn't going to be a location film. We're going to pull this on and we're going to make sets and we're going to go, what we're going to go a little bit wacky with everything. Uh, and, and I had the concept of it being not so much a horror film as, as a journey film, you know, sort of like uh, Sinbad the sailor, that kind of thing. Uh, because, because the thing is that it's, it's all the trappings that you make around the killings, right. That really make the film. So I thought that we would make it the journey. Right. And so you you had that feeling of going from one magical place to another. That was, that was what I wanted. And I knew that couldn't do it on location. I'd have to do it. I'd have to do them as, as, as sets. And, and that's what we did. Uh, And, and, I think that between those three things and, and the thing is, is I, I had it in my head that, it, that I wanted it to be like going to one of those carnivals that comes out of town and, and, and pop down in the middle of Walmart. Right. Hmm. You know, and all kids go out there and all, and, and I wanted it to be that kind of magical, this magical comes out of nowhere journey. Right. Yeah. And so when we did Nightmare on Elm Street four, all, all I could think of in my mind is as a guide was well now I'm gonna if that one was a, a was a carnival in in a Walmart parking lot then this one's gonna be Disneyland. That's what <laughs> I do. I mean, and that's yeah. I mean, the whole thing you know just goes up to another level, and the franchise. That's the thing too is really. You know, all the stories that have encompassed number two and the tonality of two to one is so greatly different. It's not until three and four that you can almost kind of see a true direction, like mainstay of the franchise. Well, and yeah, the, I, I I say this. I say that whole look, the, the, the idea that the journey is 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 has got to be magic. You know, all that, that, that was my concept and you see it really strongly in three and four. And then my sister took over just the design aspect of the fifth, um, uh, on three and four, I was as involved with the effects as I was in the design. Right. Uh, and, and then, uh, and then I just, that's why I, I still think that the third and fourth are, are the strongest out of the series. Right. 
I definitely would say those are the those are the movies that always get tied to when someone references the Friday franchise. I would say a solid 85, 90% of the time, the direction will lean towards Dream Warriors. And yeah. yeah. And then, and, really- and, you know what I'll tell you? Dream Warriors is a better film, but <laughs> secretly, I think everybody likes watching snippets out of Nightmare on Elm Street 4 better. Well, the- because Nightmare on Nightmare, Dream Warriors is a big piece, right? And it's got some great kills and stuff in it, but Dream Warriors just has that fucking look. <laughs> yeah, and you know the on the four point two, like you say, like everything. I would imagine that this is the case, you know, across the board. But you really notice it in horror movies, not just yours in particular, but just like movies when you see like a couple years of advanced like development in film production so to get to go back to this franchise but you have like more at your disposal that's got to be kind of cool to get to do well you know oddly oddly on three and then four we had more money on we had more money on three than they did in two and then we had a lot more money on four than we did on three and that doesn't happen (laughs) (laughs) but but you know the uh I think it was money well spent because we literally made New Line Cinema. Yeah, these are like every time that you, and I'm speaking generally like I'm 37, so I'm speaking like specifically to the kids of my age. Every time we put in the VHS tapes back in the day and we saw the New Line logo flash before the rollout. like Your heart goes afloat. Yes, yes. Like... (laughs) If you are a horror fan in that era, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Um, but what what was like some of the fun stuff? You know, you mentioned in three the like really taking the gloves off as far as the design aspects. What was some of the fun stuff in four? Well, in four, all literally all of it. I mean, you know, the the sequence of uh, I, I would say the sequence of Alice being sucked into the theater yeah i mean wow what a huge deal that was i mean that was filmed all over town i mean she walks in she's in the theater she is literally in a theater that's up in pasadena but when she's up when she's upstairs she's that that we rebuilt that whole balcony area on a stage and 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 had it uh hooked up to a couple of tractors so that they could be lifted up like this and go completely perpendicular. Jeez. So, so that you got that, so that, you know, the popcorn is spilling in that and she's spilling forward and going up to the edge. And then we took that edge, that edge piece. And we, and we, uh, we cut that out of the, out of the set uh, that was up on the stage. And we took that down in front of a, uh, and we recreated those beams, right? Mm-hmm. And and we put the beams down the side of uh, the old Beacons building, which was eight stories, and it was um, it, it was a refrigeration building for uh, storing uh, uh, furs, right? Mm-hmm. It was up in Hollywood, and it was just for storing your furs uh, uh, because they they had to be stored cold, right? Mm-hmm. So. It was it, it it literally it was a concrete 
the side of it was a concrete slab that was the depth of a lot, right? You know, probably 150 feet, and it went straight up uh, almost 100 feet. Jeez. Right? And that, and then we strung, we strung up the beams, and we pulled them up the side of that so that the beams are sitting on the side of it. And then we lifted that, uh, that, uh, piece of the, the front of the balcony that we'd built right mm. and literally lifted lifted put a stunt person there holding it and lifted it up eight stories <laughs> and then and then she falls and she falls and we film it in slow motion she falls into a green screen that's stretched over a bag and winds up in and winds up in front of the craven which was uh my sister sister's great dressing job was the crave in crave in right oh wow uh she came on she came on originally uh as my set dresser and then i co i just put her in as a, a co-production designer and we did uh three and four that way that's really cool and basically she did the dressing and i and i came up with the wacky all the rest of the wacky stuff and and coordinated the design with all the weird set pieces and that kind of stuff so to backtrack a little bit and going back to number three in doing all the coronation with the set pieces and the shooting of the classic uh, marionette sequence. Ah, my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was shot. Uh, basically most of that, uh, most of the marionette pieces, uh, you know, where he's, she, he's in bed and, and the arms are slashed is mm -hmm. we went over to his and I can't think it, it was a Canem. Yes. I can't remember. I think it was Canem. Right. And we went, we literally went to his uh, studio and we set up that bedroom, hmm. the, the hospital room. Right. So that that one, we, we set it up and we lit it and just left it that way so that he could do all, all the, um, you know, you know, so that he could do all the pulling the uh, uh, the bits out and do the uh, claymation, uh, Freddie coming up at the at the foot of the bed, right? Mm -hmm. So basically, he was so a, a camera guy would come over and operate the camera whenever they whenever they were ready to to actually roll it, right? And, and he would go over there, and, and so then then there was a rig that we moved to Westwood, which was down at the um, old Veterans Administration Hospital, right? Hmm. Which has this really spooky arched feeling, you know, the very 1920s kind of like, you know, yeah. huge building with like uh, uh, half half Gothic, half, uh, half Gothic, half Spanish revival <laughs> architecture, yeah, right? For sure. And, and, and we're moving down those halls and we had this huge rig that that was the puppeting rig, right? And and then that followed him across the, the nurses station, right? You know, you see him that's where he's oh like that. Yeah. Across there. And then uh the uh, the falling part was a combination of um shots from our stage, you know, where the kids are gathered around the window mm -hmm. to uh to a building that's on the UCLA campus. Huh. Uh, it's the it's the main watchtower there. 
so that's where that's where you know he, he falls and and yeah it's pretty interesting the, a very very complicated sequence and and here's here's one interesting thing about that so they got done they 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 put that together roughly uh and they were showing it in in, in a, a screening room and uh they they Rachel Talley and I went to see because we wanted to know if there was anything that we needed to do to finish that sequence up. And so we went across town. We saw the uh, just the first assemblage of it. And oh, my God. I mean, this was this was the full assemblage. You know, uh, the each arm, you saw the vein, the cuts and the veins and each arm and the legs, you know, all. I, I mean, it was it because the MPAA we kept having to cut that scene down and cut it down and cut it down and cut it down. Right. So it was a very watered down version of it. The version that we saw was just fucking horrifying. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> oh. you know, you, you just, you walked out of the, you know, walked out of that screen room. going. <laughs> <laughs> it was horrendous. <laughs> oh man. The, uh, the way that, the day the modern day is i'm sure it's some anniversary somewhere down the line of you know some special edition is going to come out and you're going to get a phone call and be like hey we're going to release the uh the super gory truck cut do you want to come yeah, back and super, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well uh, you know if they do it there's an entire sequence in front of the uh from nightmare on elm street four in front of the uh uh in front of the uh, Elm Street house uh, that uh, that never made it into the film. Oh, man. Huge, huge sequence. It literally took all day to do one shot. You know? Yeah, uh, that kind of stuff. There's no... <clears throat> I'm surprised it honestly hasn't happened more often. Like, I guess there's two sides to the coin of, like, don't release it or whatever. Like, fans are going to find a reason to bitch about what they're going to find a reason to bitch about but these movies are so you know there's a fan base out there that just by hearing you describe that kind of stuff like people would geek out at the chance to get to see that kind of stuff yeah i it's a good question as as to whether any of it exists it's not like new line cinema it's here's the thing <laughs> you see now it's precious right no yeah for sure now it's a classic Back then, <laughs> yes, you know it, it was it was ah we're doing great, <laughs> but then you're done, you go on to the next thing. That's <laughs> such a trippy thing to like consider because now all the movies like it seems like it's second nature to have like a low key documentarian on set just filming B roll of production behind the scenes stuff because there's right. go there's going to. A, you know, always be like a 45 to an hour documentary about the making of whatever you're watching. Exactly. But That's right. To, to think of anything like back in that day that was taken in that manner, like you just said, like at the end of the day, even if it's like Polaroids of you guys backstage and whoever takes those photos are like, these didn't even a, come out. Yeah, there, were, there, it's like, there was certainly a stigma to having a camera on set though. You know, was when say when you saw somebody pull out a camera on set, it made everybody nervous, right? Okay. Because technically, you weren't supposed to do that. 
Okay. Right? I, I mean, uh, because you weren't supposed to let anything leak out. For sure. So, so the, it, it, it just, just made people n- nervous and, 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 you know, it's kind of that way today, you know, yeah. uh, you, you have to sign all kinds of releases as to what, what you can take pictures of, but also taking pictures wasn't like back then. wasn't like it is now. <laughs> sure. I mean, yeah, sure. you know, everybody's, everybody's always carrying a camera and, and it's not obvious when you take a picture. Right. But back yeah. then it was because you had a, camera <laughs> yeah so everybody kind of be looking at you like mm, really you really need to you really need that picture do you <laughs> yeah. yeah they that whole thing i have to imagine the whole you know scene back then of not wanting the leaks to get out but now you're seeing stuff like the pages of the script are certain colors because the, so they won't xerox and stuff like that like right at the end of the day like <clears throat> the thing it's interesting to see like both sides of it again because back then word had to travel let's say there was a leak that leak is going to circulate you know the radius of said leak is going to be less <laughs> yeah, dead right. there, was, there, there was there was a radius and a speed with within which it traveled and it wasn't very fast yeah <laughs> <laughs> where today these yeah. guys are like you know if something gets out let's just pretend for a second that they have decided you know the stars have aligned and they're going to remake the or not remake or revisit the elm street franchise blumhouse or some shit's gonna do it damn earth shattering news if they want to keep like the identity of who's gonna be freddie if robert would come back or if it's someone new Good luck keeping like that shit a secret. The second yeah. that gets out, like the entire world would know. Like, Everything, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 easy. You 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 almost uh, leak your own stuff uh, in self defense. <laughs> yes, yeah, for sure. Like no doubt. The uh, yeah. if, if anything, at least get a vibe as to what the reaction is going to be. Well, like, yeah, you, you you make the story your own. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Man, the we have literally we almost need to do, you know, ask you, you to do like the Mick series on our podcast because here we are, our, <laughs> our time is up and we have not even like scratched. I can, you know what? I I I can easily do a uh, a nightmare. Ver- this would be the nightmare version, and then the non nightmare version. For sure, yeah. Like the uh, <laughs> is again like. This gentleman, he's done stuff like you heard him talk about. He's done a bunch of work on the Hercules franchises that were all. I was telling my wife that I was going to talk to you. And uh, the way that I explained to her who Hercules Hercules was, Kevin Servo was, is getting her to realize who he was compared to Lucy Lawless and Xena. Right, because that was that was a takeoff that was a takeoff of the show that we did, and then we and then we started the Xena, uh, and we were there was a while where we were running the Xena and the Hercules at the same time. Yes, and then I finished up Hercules and came home. Yeah, yeah. That, we were, it's all filmed in New Zealand. Yeah, so that would be a ton of fun to get to talk to you about the stories from all that. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, there's a bunch 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 more that we could we could go on and on about but right now for right now 
tell everybody like what is the easiest way if they you know have a question or want to see what you're up to what's the you know what people can find? I, I i pretty i i think i i think i have an instagram page page but i very rarely actually successfully get on it um I, i'm on facebook and uh you know if you really have a question or something just uh message just message me you know uh if uh i have a book uh, called Behind the Screams. It's all about Nightmare on Street 4 because oh. I found 4 to be really, really super interesting film. And it's it's got 50, uh, 50 interviews in it that are broken up according to the kills. And it just gives you such a great feeling for what it's like uh, to, uh, uh, to, to be on a, a horror film set that's that big and complicated back then. Um, and uh, I have all kinds of stuff uh, coming up. I, I uh, I have several things in the pipeline right now. Uh, I'm going to be directing uh, the house in the pines uh, here towards the end of the year. Um, a lot of things happening. Uh, just, you know, fall. Uh, you, if you want to actually me to actually uh, grant you friendship, <laughs> then, then what you have to do is you actually have to message me first. <laughs> Because I get a lot of uh, requests and 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 I, I don't even know what to do with them. I'm so far behind on on friend requests; uh, it's ridiculous. So message them first. Message me first. There's the answer. Well, Mick, man, thank you so much for coming. Oh, you're so welcome. I definitely mean it, man. The the series of these conversations is definitely a to be continued. Okay, great. Sounds uh, good. Anyway, okay, I'm gonna take off. All right, man, there is the interview with the great Mick Strawn, like I said. Uh, hopefully you guys all enjoyed it. I definitely enjoy talking with Mick. And hopefully we will get to talk with him again at a later point in time. But until then, man, may the stars light your way. Stay spooky. Trust in the Force. Stay nerdy. Always check your candy. Take care, everybody. May the stars light your way Throughout all your journeys May the stars light your way Throughout all your days May you see all the world stars and planets. May the stars light your way and see you safely home. Did you like that?